the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Supporting companies and their employees for 75 years. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times business podcast. This is Wednesday, March 23rd. I'm Kieran Hancock. And on this week's show, I'll be putting the spotlight on the upcoming elections for Shannon Aaron and the decision by three senior figures in our broad business community to seek seats. I'll be asking them why they decided to stand and what they hope to achieve if elected to our upper chamber. Before that, let me remind you that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, where it will be delivered to your device each week for free. But now on to the Shannon. And the campaign is well underway to elect candidates to the various panels that make up our upper chamber. Among the candidates is entrepreneur Peter Casey, former General Secretary of the Irish Congress of Trade Unions, David Begg, and Porico Cadic, who's better known to us as the man behind Irish airline Air Aaron. I'm joined in studio by David Begg and by phone from the United States by Peter Casey and Porico Cadic, who's on his way back from Cork at the minute, but has agreed to pull in and take a call. So, uh, gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Peter, I might start with yourself. You're in Atlanta in the United States at the minute, where um, your company, uh, Clatter Resources, an executive Search company has a, a substantial operation, and um, can you just tell me, given your you know your your business commitments, as it were, you're a very successful entrepreneur. You're standing, I should say, you're, you secured a nomination from Ibec as a candidate on the Shannon's Industrial and Commercial Panel. But why do you want to be in Shannon, Aaron? Well, it's I also received actually a nomination from the Institute of Bankers as well. Okay. So. Okay. Uh, well, I've actually, I run a global executive search firm. We operate on uh, five continents, but we've actually been successful in bringing four companies over from America to Ireland. And um, initially I was going to set up, uh, I, I wanted to stand as a TD in Donegal because I, I bought a home in Greencastle. And um, my wife came over and she helped decorate the house and she then turned around and said, well, I'll visit you in Greencastle, but I'm not going to live in Donegal. So right. she's from Dublin. Right. <laughs> so uh, that sort of uh, put the that put the kibosh on, uh, on, on on standing as a TD in Donegal. Mind but, you, you uh, could have stood as a TD in, in Dublin because you, uh, Clara has, re- has an operation in Dublin as well, isn't that right? We have an operation in Dublin, but it, it's very hard. I mean, I, I talked to a lot of uh, TDs in Dublin. And uh, they said, you know, it's 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 uh, an ordinary and getting elected in Dublin would be virtually impossible, you know. So, uh, and we've got uh, some two of our children will be over studying in Dublin this year. Uh, and also, I, I you know, I, I was actually on the I, I wrote a book about um, the most successful company in the world run by an Irishman, uh, Tata Cyrus Mystery, who's. Uh, actually Irish and his mother was born in Dublin and uh, I was on the Ivan Yates show and, and Ivan said to me so Peter you've written a successful book he said uh, and, and uh, it seems to be going well and apparently you've lost your mind I said what do you mean he said well you don't strike me as somebody that would be particularly good at uh, being a TD you know and <laughs> he was very blunt you know he said uh, he said you know being a TD you have to you know people will be knocking on your mm. door fixing potholes repairing mm. street lights he said you just I, I just don't think you thought this one through he said I think you'd be much better suited to the Shannon and uh, so I think I, what I offer is uh, I can help bring Irish companies um, over to America I've invested in some companies in Ireland and we've successfully brought them over into the American market and I can also uh, be the bridge to help bring American companies over to Ireland. So um, I have a 16-year-old daughter who my wife wants her to spend her final year education in uh, America before coming over to Ireland. So it made sense that um, 
this shannon is a natural uh, uh, uh well it was it was a, a way that we myself and my wife could stay married <laughs> right okay well but a lot of people consider the shannon rightly or wrongly they consider it to be a bit of a talking shop uh, a place where uh you know people get to get up and make fine speeches and so forth but really nothing ever gets achieved at all the real business the the, the meat and drink of politics is uh, decided in dollar and what what do you say to that uh, you know, the original concept of the Shannon when it was reconstructed in '37 was that there would be a panel of experts who would actually advise the government and give business advice in the business panel, commercial, uh, you know, uh, farming and agricultural arts. You know, th- there'd be a, a panel of experts who would uh, give meaningful uh, uh, improvements to the government. But what happened was it was completely hijacked by the political uh, parties. And, you know, for example, there hasn't in the history of the state ever been one independent elected to the panels. You know, so uh, there have been obviously independent nominations by the Taoiseach and uh, Maria Cahill and uh, Jared Cogwell got uh, uh, the nom- nominated to fill the vacancies. But there has never been in the history of the state an independent actually elected via the panels, which is... You know, it's, 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 it's a sad reflection on the Constitution. Yeah. David Begg, you retired from your role with ICTU there about a year ago. Um, why do you want to be in the Shannon? Yeah, well, I, I take the point. It's not a very powerful place. The, it's not, it, the government is not actually responsible to the Shannon as such. Uh, but in a way, uh, there's less yaboo politics there. It's a more reflective place. Uh, it's a place where ideas can be ventilated and discussed maybe in a more... Uh, critical way or uh, somewhat more in depth and uh, like your, like uh, Peter and, and, and I assume uh, Parik as well uh, we all have a lot of experience in life uh, Peter referred to the book he'd written I've done some fairly extensive studies myself of uh, European integration and its effect on small open economies and in fact if you think about that question of Europe there is very little deep consideration within the Oireachtas at all of European issues. It's not structured in a way to discuss those, and yet it really influences every aspect of our economic and social life. So I think that it's an opportunity from my point of view to put forward some of these ideas that have arisen from my, my writing and my research, uh, and to hopefully get them discussed in a, in a sort of a considered way, and perhaps out of that some ideas can come which will influence policy in the longer term. Now you're standing on the, uh, for the NUI Panel, That's right. Yeah, um, and you were telling me earlier it's a bit of a dogfight. Thirty candidates for three seats. It is a dogfight, absolutely. Uh, it's, uh, <coughs> chances of succeeding are pretty remote, I would say. But nevertheless, you know, it's something I want to give it a go. I think I have something to offer, but I'm prepared to leave it to the judgment of the electors whether they consider that to be the case or not. Yeah. <coughs> Porgo Kedic, you're also standing on the NUI panel um, where, where David and others will be uh, up against you. And I was just looking through some recent tweets um, in relation to your running for the Shannon, you said that one day I'll just be a memory to some people. My goal is to be a good memory, one who made a difference. So what, what kind of difference uh, do you think you might be able to make to the Shannon? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a good question, Kieran. Uh, I suppose whatever I do in life, I give it my best shot. And I actually believe from a Shannon perspective, coming from an entrepreneurial background, uh, built maybe 12, 13, 14 companies at this stage, probably created maybe 1,500 to 2,000 jobs directly. I believe that that experience and that knowledge and those contacts 
are really, really, really important for the Shannad. And in actual fact, I'm actually delighted that David is going for the Shannad as well because I believe there's a strong potential synergy in those type of interactions between entrepreneurship, employees. Probably the best thing you, one person can ever, ever do is create a job for somebody. Because if you create a job for somebody, you give them a choice, you give them options, you give them integrity, get them to do something in life. And that, to me, as from a personal point of view, has been the biggest achievement. And I'd actually like to help create and foster and give a voice in the Eructus to um, entrepreneurship. Because I believe in Ireland we've got to become more and more and more self-sufficient and directing our own destiny. Uh, foreign direct investment is great and it's fine, but I think we've got to be able to grow our own boat more. That's going to happen a lot more in the future, in my view. Yeah. Now you've stepped away from your day-to-day role with Aaron, which is now Stobart Air, but you're still a busy man. You've got various business interests. How would you juggle uh, being a businessman, uh, owning companies, having investments, etc., with being a member of the Shannon? Yeah. Um, I, I I reflected five years ago on on, on putting my name forward for the Shannon. I decided not to do so because at the time, Air Arne was in a difficult situation and we had about 400 or more staff and I was not in a position to actually, how will I put it, jump ship as it were because I was focused on my staff and I wanted to be there with them to make sure they wouldn't lose a job or anything like that. We've gone through a tough, we're going through a tough recession and other things at the time and thankfully nobody lost a job. So what I've done since actually, and, and you're right, I've probably about 350 people employed at the moment. What I've, what I've done is I've created a very, very strong management team, a robust management team. And actually, to me, the most important aspect of being an entrepreneur or a leader of a company or a leader of a country is actually to create the environment in which other people can step up to the plate and develop their leadership skills. So to me, success is not what I achieve but to create the environment that others can actually achieve their potential or even better than what they believe their potential is. I have a very, very good management team and I've, uh, the companies and businesses are going very well, thank God. And I'm very, very confident that they're well capable of actually probably doing things a lot better than I've done to date. And Peter Casey said that he considered standing for the general election. What about yourself? Did you, did you give it a thought? No, I did not give it a thought. Uh, I was asked to run the general election by two political parties and, I gracefully declined. No, I'm, I, it's not a space I'm in. In actual fact, I, I believe the Shannon, uh, a little bit what David said there, and a little bit what Peter said, it, 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 it's a place where you actually debate and discuss and challenge, challenge national and international politics and national and international direction of, of the country. And that's a space I'm really, really interested in, and I think I make, can make a contribution. I don't think I'd be able to make a similar contribution if I was in the Dáil, which appears to have a different type of a model and a different type of a structure. Who asked you to stand in the general election for them? Uh, Fianna Fáil asked me a number of years ago and Fianna Gael asked me in 2011. Okay, but you weren't tempted... I'm not, I'm not, a, member, I'm not a member of any political party. I never was. No, and I think you've been making that thing. clear on, on your tweets that you're hashtag uh, independent. Absolutely. And the other thing is I'm... I'm I'm not taking, I don't take any, any financial donations for this election or any election. I'm not into that stuff either. Okay. Um, David Begg, what about this view that uh, the Shannon, for somebody like yourself who was in the public limelight for a long time, but you're retired now, that it's nothing more than a cosy sinecure? 
I don't really think it's a sinecure. I mean, if my experience of running for election is anything to, to go by, it's been pretty rough these last few months trying to put the message out and so on. And I think if you're in the public domain at all, you're very exposed, actually, to people and to their criticisms and to their attacks. And but there's I, no constituency as such well, the, well, mind when strictly, you're in the Strictly there is in the sense that there's 103,000 voters and so on, but no local constituency that you have to serve in terms of potholes or things like that. And in a way... And, and just reinforcing the point that, that the party has just made, actually, look, what, what can we contribute there? We can contribute a bit from our experience. Parig uh, and Peter have talked about their business experience. I have a good bit of experience in both the public and the private sector. I have a lot of experience in overseas work, for instance. I was chief executive of Concern for five years. I've seen a lot of the world and a lot of the world's problems. Uh, I have researched and written extensively about Europe and about the role of small open economies and how they can survive. I have specific ideas about how Ireland should alter. And I take, Draparic made an interesting point that we can't continue as we are. And I absolutely agree with that. I think our model of development will have to change. Now, my own take on this, based on what I've seen, is we should look a lot closer at countries like Finland and Denmark and the Netherlands who have managed to be at the very top in terms of economic efficiency and social cohesion for a long time. We're all in a tizzy at the moment because of Brexit and what that means for us. We haven't quite assimilated being in with a group of social market economies in the Eurozone. That is a, an incredible transition for us to have to make, uh, not to mention how we're going to deal with, you know, the low carbon economy and all of those things coming down at us. So that needs a lot of thinking. It needs a lot of ideas. And hopefully from, as I said, my research, from my past experience in the public, private and voluntary sectors, I can actually make some yeah. contribution there. You mentioned about how you're having to campaign and it's uh, 30 people standing for three seats. I just wonder, has the, there was controversy earlier this year about your appointment to the Pensions Authority as chairman by Joan Burton um, and uh, some of the opposition members uh, sought to make a, a big political capital out of that. Um, I, I don't mean to relive that, but um, has that come up on the doorstep, so to speak, with any of the uh, voters? Not particularly with me. <laughs> to be quite honest with you, <laughs> I'm in a strange position where I'm attacked all the time by the far right and the far left in equal venom and vigour, you know, and they throw everything they possibly can at me. And the greatest amount of lies, like there was one character who should have known better the other day, talked about the seven pensions I'm supposed to have. You know, I have one pension from the ICTU of 32,000 a year. That's it. Now, in regard to the pensions authority, when the, the tarnished asked me to take that job, and in fact, I, I said, two things to her. The first was are you sure this is fine by the appointment uh, the public uh, appointments arrangements uh, and on that point she showed me absolutely and as a matter of fact she showed me the ministerial guidelines and she is absolutely right in relation to it and a lot of the people in Dal Ern who criticised that never criticised those guidelines when they were enacted. But the second thing was I knew at the time I wanted to stand for the Shannon and I didn't want her to come along in six months and say well you might have told me that you were interested. I wanted to put my cards on the table. And, of course, she said that, yes, OK, look, if you're elected, we'll deal with that. So the point I'm making was I wasn't looking for that job. I had other plans. I was asked to do it, and I felt as a, a point of public service that I should, if the second most important person in the government asked you to do something, I think you would do it, and I think most people would do it. Yeah, Peter Casey, um, just coming back to you, how will you manage to juggle your business activities with being a, a member of the Shannon? 
Well, I uh, uh, just say in exactly the same as, as David was mentioned there. I, I've been very fortunate, um, sorry, Porik. Uh, I've got a very strong management team behind me. Uh, I've been in. I started the company 34 years ago, so it, it really it's at the stage now where it's it runs pretty much by itself. Um, I have a base in Donegal, a base in Dublin, uh, where my and I've got a. I will, I will I will maintain my base in Atlanta. Um, I'm very good at sleeping on planes. <laughs> I get on and uh, it's actually it's seven and a half hours from Atlanta to Dublin, and it's uh, it's four hours from my house in Greencastle, you know, to Dublin. So uh, it's not that big a difference. Yes, so I I go across every two weeks. Okay. Now the other thing is, uh, by being a member of the Oroctus, you have to declare your interests. Uh, in various areas on a, on a member's uh, register. That includes, you know, any shares you might own, land, directorships, contracts, gifts, all of that kind of stuff. Um, how do you feel about that? Because some people wouldn't be comfortable with that. I have absolutely no problem whatsoever. Um, I've got a very good team of accountants who make sure I am as clean as a whistle. So <laughs> absolutely not a problem whatsoever. Um, you know. And it also comes with a, a salary of sixty-five thousand euro, probably somewhat less than uh, than you're used to in recent years, and and various expenses. Um, w- will you be claiming those expenses? No, no, no. All right, and, but you will be taking the salary. Um, I'll probably donate it uh, to the uh, to local entrepreneurial areas in Donegal. You know, I haven't made a decision yet. People have given me different advice as to whether to do it or whether not to. Uh, you know, I personally, the salary, I'm not certainly not doing it for the salary. Yeah, sure. Uh, Porik, uh, can I put the same questions um, to yourself? How, how do you feel, for example, about having to reveal um, your interests in certain areas like land, shares, uh, etc., on the members register if you do get elected? Yeah, Kieran, um, I've no problem with that. As you know, and being a journalist, it's pretty easy to find out what anybody in the country has and doesn't have in any event. All you do is a company search and you can get a lot of information on that. So there's a lot of information that's public there anyway already about me. So and it, it's it's not an issue. I don't I don't mind that. I've I've nothing whatsoever to hide, quite frankly. And uh, I'm very, very comfortable. I'm very, very comfortable with it. It's it's not an issue for me at all. And are there any potential conflicts of interest in any of your business activities uh, with being a member of the Shannon? Have you have you gone through it to see if there might potentially I, I, be? I've any actually conflicts? yes, I've 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 thought of that, and I think a lot of people in Ireland, particularly people who are involved in in, in business, there could be potential conflicts, and you have to work at arm's length in relation to those. And I've been on a number of state boards that there could have been potential conflict in, and what you do is there's a process a corporate process by which you follow in order to excuse yourself and not being involved in any way, directly or indirectly, in decision-making or in any kind of contribution in relation to those areas. So, like, for example, uh, I'm a board member of RTE, uh, and I'm after stepping off the board of RTE as soon as I decided to, to go for go for the Shannon, for example. Okay, and uh, you also operate island service, an airline uh, service to the Iron Islands. Yeah, uh, which is in receipt of uh, public funds, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that the, that airline there's there's about forty staff employed there on a full time basis, and that's going to continue to tender for those contracts. Uh, so it is to the Iron Islands, and again, it's going to be at arm's length. I've 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 known there's a process through which you go on that, and we're going to follow that process. And uh, I don't think that I should be discriminated against 
just because I want to put a lot of effort into um, supporting entrepreneurship and culture and education in Ireland. Yeah, uh, it- but I'm certainly not going to interfere with it, no. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life, September 2014. Porik, is there any one policy area, any one policy initiative that that you might hope to ventilate, shall we say, in the chambers of uh, the Shannon if you were elected? There's a couple of really uh, big areas, and if I if I were to be elected, that's really the question. As 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 as. Uh, uh, David uh, was in there, and Peter. There's 30 candidates for for three places, and to be honest with you, I have the clue whether I'm going to be elected or not, or who's going to be elected. It's my first time ever running for any election, so I'm I'm very greenhorn at this. Um, okay, fundamental for me is Shannon reform, uh, and I mean that quite honestly. And the more I learn about the Shannon, the more I really believe that there is re- reform required. In actual fact, I was a bit disappointed today when I heard that the the um, they're looking at putting a group together, a committee together to look at Dáil reform. And quite frankly, I really think if you're going to reform anything, you need people from the outside involved in the reform as well, rather than just actual TDs. You're not going to get proper reform if it's just the people within the system are looking at looking at reforming it. Um, I, it's the Shannon to me is very undemocratic. I got my degree out of NUIG in Galway, very, very proud of it. But there are people in UL and other universities and other third-level institutions who've got a degree equally as good as the one I have, and they're not allowed to vote. They have no representation uh, on it, DCU and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. That, that's a very fundamental issue for me. Uh, another key issue for me is 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 got to do with entrepreneurship and openness. Like, for example, you mentioned earlier about government contracts, which I understand is in the region of 12 billion, 10 to 12 billion euros a year. Most Irish companies cannot tender for those contracts. It's extremely difficult for them to tender. If they were tendered or were allowed to tender, and if some of them were successful, you're talking about creating in the region of three to 400,000 jobs on that alone. Now, also, the larger tenders are won by international companies, not by Irish companies. I think that needs big, big, serious fundamental reform. And that's, again, in relation to employment creation and jobs and entrepreneurship. They'd be the two key areas. Obviously, okay. being from the Gaeltacht, Irish is my first language. I had to, I had to learn English. It's my second language. Um, our language, our culture, the more European we get, the more global we get, the more important it is for us to understand and support and strengthen our identity as Irish people. Okay, David Bake, Shannon, reform, does that ring a bell with you? Oh, absolutely, because like, I ha- got my PhD from NUI Manute, but I, my master's degree is from DCU, and I did an engineering qualification with the DIT, so I can completely empathise with those uh, higher learning institutes which are uh, dis- 
in effectively discriminated against in this structure. And it's worth recalling that the Seventh Amendment to the Constitution, which was passed in 1979, did actually provide for the extension of the franchise to other uh, seats of higher learning. And there's no real credible reason uh, why that hasn't happened, frankly. Yeah. Peter Casey, is uh, votes for immigrants, is, is that an issue on your agenda? Uh, I believe that there should be, uh, you should be entitled to a vote if it affects your passport, you know. So if you're living in Australia, I, I don't think you should have a vote uh, on local issues that affect, for example, Donegal. But, you know, anything that affects my passport, uh, then yes, I think I should have a vote on that. I think you should have a vote in presidential elections, um, you know, anything to do with constitution reform. I think you should have a vote on that. But I don't think if you're living abroad, um, I, I, I wouldn't, I don't believe that you're, you should have a, a say in what happens in local areas, you know. So, uh, but I totally agree that there absolutely needs to be reform of the Shannad. Uh, I mean, most people have no idea how you get nominated or elected. They have no idea how the Shannad, you know, the inside panels, the outside panels, the floaters. It's you know. And of course, the Taoiseach has eleven nominees, isn't that right? And the Taoiseach has eleven nominees as well. Well, this time he he won't have eleven. Obviously, he'll have to horse trade a few of them. I'm sure he'll probably. He'll end up with probably six, I would think. Yeah, sure. That. And just on that point, David Begg, uh, I mean, how long do you think this Shannon might last? Difficult to know. It could be three weeks or three years, mm. quite honestly. Uh, that's the extraordinary thing about it. <laughs> I don't know how my two friends feel, but I don't fancy the prospects of hitting the hustings again, you know, after a short period of time. But the, the position is very uncertain. But for, I think, for the parties... There's a real danger in not forming a government because I, if you reflect back to the early 80s, Charlie Hawhey pulled a few strokes those times about running to the country very quickly and was very severely punished for it. So I think the, the view of the electorate tends to be, no, we made a decision, now get on with it. I, my own sense of it, actually, for what it's worth, is I, I have a feeling the intention of the electorate, I think they felt that the previous government would be returned in some shape or form and they wanted to clip their wings, so to speak, but they didn't envisage that they would clip them quite so much to get the result we got. But that being the case, I think the expectation is that the guys are going to have to put it together as as soon as they can. But, I mean, it may take a little while. As, as we know, I think Spain hasn't actually formed a government yet after about four months, and Belgium there a few years ago took uh, over a year to do it, you know. But nevertheless, I hope that doesn't happen here like that. But there is a there is a job to be done, and they really do have to do it. Sure. Peter Casey, yeah, I mean, you spent a lot of time in America. Is is there any cognizance over there of the fact that uh, we're in something of a limbo at the minute in terms of our government? There is. Um, I think the the talk over here is they genuinely think that there's a real chance that Britain will leave the European Union. Uh, the, the, the ISIS attacks uh, have sort of, even though in theory they don't really impact uh, the, the ability for Britain to restrict who comes in and out of the country, they're making people much more aware of borders. And, um, you know, the, I, I believe that Britain probably, there's a very good chance that Britain could pull out. Uh, that's the discussion over here. And and what impact will that have on Irish companies, American companies in Ireland? Because, uh, you know, if Ireland, uh, Britain pulls out, there's a very good chance that Britain, uh, Ireland will have to follow suit, you know, and what impact will that have on Irish companies? Um 
you know, I think it could be. A, it, it's hard to say, but there, you know, for example, Apple uh, is now looking at getting a, you know, a, a fine from the EU of 18, uh, 18 billion. Um, it, there's a possibility that if Britain did pull out, um, there'd be a, a referendum up in Scotland for Scotland to to pull out of, um, you know, as well. Uh, out of the UK, uh, that could be followed by you know an English con- Parliament uh, being set up to govern England. <laughs> I mm. mean, there's there's a lot of uncertainty coming down the pathway, which is making people nervous, and that uh, impacts people's ability to make long-term capital investment decisions. So I, I would like to see a strong government in Ireland. Um, and, you know, we should have been negotiating alongside Britain uh, because at the end of the day, you know, we probably have to go along with whatever Britain decides because it's, it's, sure. it's impossible to enforce a physical border between the north and south of Ireland. And just, so, just to be clear, I mean, you're originally from Derry. Um, just to be yeah. clear, if Britain does decide to leave, do you think Ireland should follow? What's your view? Well, I think that, you know, it's impossible. Look at it logically. It's impossible to put a border in place between North and South. At the height of the Troubles, there were 30,000 troops in Northern Ireland and they couldn't enforce a physical border. So I don't believe that, you know, there has to be some special form of accommodation between the North and the South, Um, you know, because it's a unique situation when you think about it you know we're the only country in europe where another country is in the country so like there's no part of france in spain there's no part of germany in france you know we have part of britain in ireland so i mean it it, there has to be a special accommodation made to facilitate um whatever arrangement britain finally comes to and then i think if britain gets a special deal you're going to find france is going to say well hold on a second we want a renegotiate, a renegotiate our terms, then I think you'll find, uh, you know, Italy will not be too far behind. Sure. And sure. It's, so it, I think that you could see as, uh, very quickly an unravelling of uh, European unity, especially if you get uh, a few more ISIS attacks, you know. And Sure. Uh, okay. David Begg, um, if Britain decides to leave, should Ireland follow? No, I don't think so, because if you think back over the last 30 years or so, the single most advantageous event from the point of view of the Irish economy was probably the Single European Act in 1988, attracted a huge amount of investment uh, into Ireland. And, you know, Europe being a, a gateway to Europe is extremely important for us. Now, that is not to say that that doesn't cloak as it were a strategic vulnerability because we do have a huge dependence on foreign direct investment and it's one of the failures probably of the Irish state that we've never managed to really build our indigenous industry to the level we should have like most of our with with honourable exceptions most of our companies are SMEs rather than very very large companies and in fact we have 143,000 small companies in the country And small is not the problem so much, but they're not huge exporters. Uh, Most of our export trade is from the international sector. Now, that's the mirror image of a country like Denmark, for example. So I think the the way I see the, the, the Brexit thing playing out, uh, it's very difficult. I agree with Peter's point about that. And I think the Tory party disunity is quite troublesome because uh, Cameron won't get much help from Jeremy Corburn, in fact, uh, as might have been the case in, in the earlier days. My instinct is Cameron will just shade it. 
this time. I think they will stay in. However, here's the danger. There is a sort of a centrifugal force in Europe between the, the Eurosceptic mentality of Britain, not just the politicians, but the British public, and the inevitability of deeper Eurozone integration. It has to happen because the lesson of the 2008 crisis is that you cannot simply have a monetary union on its own. You also have to have a banking union and a fiscal union. And once you get into the fiscal union, you're going further towards political union. And, okay, there's a hiatus at the moment because the political consensus to do that mm. doesn't exist. But ultimately, you know, that is the direction it's going to have. That will be a centrifugal force, and we need to fix in our heads that, that is, the separation of Britain will happen at some point. I hope we get a bit of time to deal with it, but that's why we need to gravitate our economy more towards the European model, in my view. Porco Kedic, uh, what's your view on this? If Britain decides to leave uh, the EU, should Ireland follow? Um, no, I don't think Ireland should follow. I actually agree wholeheartedly with David there uh, on, on a number of points. And as it happened, actually, I was at a dinner last night that was uh, hosted by the British ambassador and uh, there was some conversation around around this particular area. Um, no, we should we should not leave, but I would be very, very, very concerned about a number of issues. If Britain does exit, and right now the exit is uh, the those who want to vote in, for, in favour of leaving the EU is slightly above the, those who want to want to vote in favour of staying. My big concern, quite frankly, is that the borders will come back up again. And my real concern in relation to Northern Ireland is that there will be a border between the North and the South. And there'll be some form of passport control and all of those type of things. That'll be demanded by Britain. It'll be demanded by, by um, Europe as well. The interesting thing is that, in my understanding, according to straw polls and, and, and opinion polls that are being made, Northern Ireland are one of the areas that really want to stay in. Uh, as part of, of the euro, as does Scotland, uh, quite Well, frankly. the DUP doesn't seem to be too pushed about staying in, in the European Union. Well, according to what I'm hearing of opinion polls, the people in Northern Ireland, the majority of them want to stay in the EU. Um, that's, be that right or wrong, it's just um, I'm giving you my opinion of what I'm hearing from on the ground. Yeah, sure. I might just let Peter Casey in on that point. Peter? It's just absolute nonsense to think that you could physically put a border between north and south again. I mean, if you really thought that, you should go out and buy shares in a fencing company, because the fences would only last one day before they'd be pulled down. You know, it, the topology doesn't lend itself to a border. There's physically no way you could have a border. So you have to accept the reality that there will not be a border. Can you imagine the photo opportunity of Jerry Adams standing at a, at, a, at a checkpoint with his passport? Never going to happen. It just is, and it's unrealistic, and it's not doesn't make sense to even pretend that it will ever happen again. And so, therefore, you know, we have to start off from that concept. I, I don't know what the answer is, but I know that physically there will never be a border, so it's unrealistic to talk about there being a border. Okay, you know? David Beck? I just think that a, a more worrying aspect of this is the potential breakup of the United Kingdom because Scotland, as has been said, is seems to be pro-staying in the European Union. And uh, if they felt, you know, that uh, the decision had been made against their wishes, I think it would reignite the call for Scottish independence again. And in that event, if, if the United Kingdom itself began to disintegrate, the concern in London for Northern Ireland 
It's not great at the moment, but I think it would diminish even further. And I think that is something that must worry all of us in this island because it is such a fragile political settlement up there. It needs constant mining. Okay, fair enough. We leave that issue there. I just uh, finally, I'm just going to ask each of you um, to just synopsize for me, if you like, uh, why people should vote for you in this uh, upcoming election and uh, how you rate your chances. And we'll start with Peter. Um. What I'm going to, the reason, my platform is basically bringing jobs to Ireland, uh, helping revive rural Ireland. I mean, I've been struggling, uh, you know, since I set my company up in Bonkrana in 2000, where I, you know, they promised me high-speed internet 16 years ago. I'm still waiting on it, you know. So my platform is rejuvenation of rural Ireland. How do we get the 300,000 people who've left, give them tax incentives to come home? And of course, you know, the important thing is is bringing jobs. Ireland, Dublin is overheated. Dublin is, you know, it's and, and it's going to hurt Dublin. Google announced 400 jobs. There aren't 400 jobs of those skill sets there. They'll have to poach them from other people, other companies that they'll pay them, have to pay them more money to for them to leave the companies they're in. That just adds to the wages, inflation, uh, housing problem that makes rents more expensive. So we need a greater focus on rural Dublin and we need uh, outer Dublin and rural Ireland. And that's really my, my platform. And I believe that, uh, have I got a, uh, my, you asked me what are my chances? Uh, well, I'd be the first one in the history of <laughs> the history of the Republic. Uh, so uh, I would say they're probably not great, uh, but I'm going to certainly work very hard and give it my very best shot. Okay, Particle Kedic. Um First of all, in relation to my chances, I think they're about average. Uh, I certainly, if it was on petty power, I don't think I'd be favourite for it, quite frankly. Um, but I'd probably be, I think, in the top 50%. So that means I'm maybe in the top 15, with the 23 being, being selected or, 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 or elected. Um, in relation to why vote for me, that's up to people themselves. Uh, there are certain attributes I have, certain skill sets I have, certain experience I have. But there are a lot of other people with significant skill sets and so on and so forth. I'm not saying I'm great. I'm not. I'm a hard worker. Uh, I've come from a working class background and I'm a grafter. Um, and I actually do what I say. I just don't talk it. I don't believe I walk my talk. That's, I think, fundamentally important. Probably one of the key, two key areas. One is i I, I chaired the Ernest Young Entrepreneur of the Year alumni. There are 450 entrepreneurs. Together, they employ 172,000 people full-time, and their annual turnover is 17 billion euros a year. Now, I believe we can really tap into that energy and actually ourselves as Irish people create and develop SMEs so that we can become bigger and stronger and we create more employment and opportunity for our, for our people. The other area, as I spoke about earlier, is reform of the Shannon, because it's not democratic. It needs to be democratic. David was saying there, a PhD and a master's from two universities, none of which, uh, I, I think, David, have got a vote on the, on the Shannon, which I think, is, I think is ridiculous. Also, I think it's really important for us to understand what the Shannon is about. There's only a certain amount of changes we can make. We can talk about bringing employment from all over the place into Ireland. We can have a little bit of an influence on that, 
but quite frankly, the doll has a major influence because you mentioned it earlier on, right at the very, very beginning of this conversation, that, Kieran, uh, you said, what influence do we have? And actually, a question I asked, I was not going to go for the Senate until Fergal Quinn met me. And the only question I had for Fergal, he said, Pork, I think you should really go for it. The only question I had for him, Fergal, am I wasting my time or will I make a difference? Because I'm not interested in wasting my time. And he said in 22 years, when he, as he was a senator, he introduced 17 different bills. And in actual fact, the government of the day, in many cases, took those bills on for themselves. Mm. So I don't care who gets the glory or, 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 or accolade or up and lights on it. All I want to do is that we actually try and, try and do it and try and make a, make a real difference. That's all. Okay, and final word to David Begg. Yeah, maybe just correct. The NUI minute is part of the NUI constituency. You can vote, yeah. But uh, no, if it can slightly flippant for a minute, I'd just say that I think one of the biggest failures of Irish public policy historically was that Clutz Brian Baru, who defeated the Danes at the Battle of Clontarf, I think if he hadn't done that, they might have imposed their enlightened social democracy on us. So I've been trying ever since to reverse that. But seriously, I think, you know, those countries like Finland, Denmark, the Netherlands, countries which are the most efficient economically, the most socially cohesive, because they know that they have to grapple with markets. They can't influence markets very much. But what they can do is to create systems and institutions which give protection to their citizens so that they are free to change and to be flexible and to adjust. And they get very, very good results out of it. And I think Finland had a massive uh, financial crash. Yeah, yeah. In 92, it did. Absolutely. But Finland, you see, was coming out of its, uh, the maw of the Soviet Union at the time. Two things happened to it. It had the financial crash and the Soviet Union collapsed. And in fact, the interesting thing about Finland was at that time, I spent a good bit of time in Finland interviewing people. And they freely admitted to me they were exporting trash to the Soviet Union. And when the Soviet Union collapsed, they had to reorientate their complete economy towards the West. And what a job they made of it. They have been phenomenally uh, successful. So I think we have more in common with them, really, than, than trying to emulate Britain or trying to be too preoccupied with Britain. I think we've got a lot to learn from their efficiency, from their vibrancy, and from the way they do things and the sense with which they address all of these words. So what I want to do is, I've done all of that research, I've written extensively about it in my recent book, I want a platform to advocate for that and to try and convince Irish people, yes, there is a much better vision of the future that we can have, which is much more sustainable than the boom and bust we've had. It's last point to say to you is this, it's well worth reflecting that the 2008 crisis was the fourth time since independence that we looked into the abyss of economic desolation. There's something not quite right with our model. We could do a lot better. Okay, Porik uh, standing for the same panel. He thinks he's in with a fighting chance. What do you think your chances are? I think it's a long shot. I mean, the only thing I can say, and I've no idea how it's going to go, to be quite honest. I mean, the one thing is people know a lot about me. I've been in the public domain for a long time. There's a lot, a lot of people will like it. A lot of people will not like it. They just have to make their choice. Okay, well, I wish you all uh, the very best of luck. David Begg, Peter Casey and Porik Okadik, who will be standing for election for Shannon Aaron. Uh, and we should get those uh, results, I think, later next month. That's it uh, for this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast. My thanks to John Casey, who produced the show, and to Rob O'Sullivan as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. 